Amen. You might be seated. Well, Randy gave a great introduction, led us through reading uh, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 11. We're going to cover not just that portion. We're going to try to cover the whole of chapter 11 today. And so we're going to have to jump right in and move rapidly here today. You might find it helpful because we're going to be moving quickly to be following along in your Bible. Page 1069 of your pew Bible is where we'll be. If you've got that or your own personal Bible, uh, it would be good to turn to Hebrews 11 so that you might follow us with your Bible open. And uh, we're, we're going to be sprinting through quickly, like I said. But before we do that, let's turn to God in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for your word given to us to guide us and direct us. We thank you for the example of the saints of old, both those who are in your word, who walked with you, who you counted as righteous through their faith, as well as the saints in the years since and the saints throughout the world today that give us such an example, such an encouragement standing steadfastly in the face of trials and tribulation, in the face of persecution, forsaking not even death to stand faithfully with you as you stand faithfully with them. May we be as such. Work such faith in us today that we would trust in you no matter what comes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning... uh, I had a surprisingly high number of people come up to me before church today and talk to me about baseball. Um, Apparently, somebody let it slide here that I'm a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. And they happen to be playing baseball against the team from Detroit called the Tigers. And uh, your guys, uh, big, mean old Tigers, are not being nice to my poor little Cardinals this weekend so far. Um... But I'm hoping for better days. I'm hoping perhaps we might be able to meet up again in October. Uh, It wouldn't be a far-fetched thought, after all. The the Tigers and Cardinals both, over the last five years, actually have the the two best records in baseball. And so so it's a reasonable hope, a reasonable thing to think toward, that maybe we could meet up again in the World Series. It wouldn't be a shock. It seems that the evidence points toward that possibility anyway. It's certainly not like if I was saying we should expect the the Lions or the Rams to end up in the Super Bowl. We'd have absolutely no reason to believe either one of those. The the Lions have never been there. The Rams have been the worst team in football for a decade now. And so that would just be, be just crazy. It would require just blind faith to expect that, right? So often when we talk about faith, that's what we we think of blind faith, believing in things that, that have no basis on what we see, just, just something that's just completely out there. And, and I want you to know that when the Bible talks about faith, that is not what it means. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love, a topic that we often get wrong. And, and there's a chapter that's devoted wholly to that. And it helps correct our mis conceptions about love. Hebrews 11 is a chapter much like that. It's about faith. The whole, whole chapter is about faith. And it helps us to see what real faith is. It, it actually, as I looked at it, I saw it kind of breaking down into three parts. It tells us what faith is, 
Second, it shows us what faith looks like. And finally, it instructs us as to what faith does for us. And so I I, want to look through those, starting first with what faith is. Uh, As I mentioned a moment ago, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just counting things as if they were, even though there's no evidence that they are. It's not just blind optimism. Now, at first glance, it seems that this might be all that it is. We look at verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It sounds kind of like this wishful thinking idea, just thinking that things are, or at least are going to be, as they are not, and as there's no evidence that they will be. But that is not what it's talking about here. It's not just this blind faith, having no reason for it. Rather, faith, biblical faith, is being sure about something because of a word of promise. Because of a word of promise. Not just for no reason, believing in whatever we want to believe, but because of that word of promise, specifically in the word of promise given to us by God. Faith is believing God, trusting his word. You know, when I was a child, my my dad left the home five days a week. He would get up, get in his car, and drive away. And I never once, though a little child, never once feared, oh my goodness, he's gone. What will we do? Why is that? It's because I knew he was coming back. I knew he was coming back. It would just be mere hours later and he would be back from work. I knew that for two reasons. One is because he told me he was coming back. He said, I'm leaving now. I'll see you tonight. And I trusted in that word. I had all the more reason to trust in that word. This is the second reason. Because he had a history of being faithful to his word. He just kept coming home every night, just like he said, night after night after night. He's had a history of faithfulness in his promises. And so I had every reason to believe that he was telling me the truth. You see, biblical faith is kind of like that. It's saying, I'm going to look to the promise of God. I'm going to look what he has said. I'm going to trust his faithfulness because as I look back at his word throughout all of time, he has always been faithful to me. And so I trust that what he is telling me now is true. And so I will trust that, not just cognitively, not just saying I accept that as a truth, but rather I will live my life in accordance with that truth. I will shape my life and mold my life in such a way that it is founded upon the truth that God has proclaimed to me. That's what these people in Hebrews 11 did. There's a long list of people. You might have noticed in your bulletin, there is on the the last page right before uh, the the uh, um, staff and calendar page of the bulletin, there is a chart uh, titled the Hall of Faith. And basically, we, we kind of borrowed most of this from the ESV study Bible, uh, kind of modified it just a little bit, but then made up this chart based on, on a chart that's found there in the ESV study Bible. And 
it speaks of all these different people that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11. And it's great because we're giving you uh, the Old Testament references where you can find maybe this week as you think about these things, it, it might be helpful to go back and take a look at your Bible and see where these people were mentioned and, and read up some of their stories. Uh, we can't go through all of the details of all of their stories this week because we're trying to cover all of this territory very quickly. But we see in the example of these people mentioned here, having understood what faith is, we see here now what it looks like. That's what these people are given to us as. They're given to us as an example of what faith looks like when it is in action because faith must actually be in action or it is not true faith. It's not just a, a, a mental assent to certain truths. Not like we believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? It's, it's a deeper truth than that. It's something that we will stake our very livelihood on, our very lives on. And we see that that's exactly what happened in these people. Verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. It's the story of Cain and Abel, right? You know, remember the, the old joke, how long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was able, right? Yeah, it, it's... A sad thing, really, though, when you think about it. Abel was the first person to die. Here we are in Genesis 4. Nobody has ever died before this. It is totally foreign. I mean, we've become desensitized, I think. I saw a thing just the other day. I saw a person being killed online. I saw a video of of a human being being shot by another human being, right? And... And because we see these things on the news all the time now, right? We see, see this happening. It's online. It's there. You see a video. And, and I saw this person being shot. And I said, isn't that terrible? Uh, what's the weather going to be like? And I clicked on a different thing and just moved on. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, oh, my goodness. Have I become so calloused, so insensitive that I can watch a human being die and it just doesn't even phase me? And the answer, sadly, is Yes. Because because death is all around us. It's very ever-present. Such was not the case with Cain and Abel. There had been no one who had died yet. And we recall that Abel brought a sacrifice to to God from, from the herd. Cain brought a sacrifice from the fields. God accepted the one and not the other. Cain was bitter and angry. and So he killed his brother. Now, now the Bible's not explicit on why God accepted the one sacrifice and didn't accept the other. But I've, I've got a reason I think is the reason. Now, now this might not be right. The Bible's not explicit. But, but I'm fairly confident on this. Um, Cain brought something from the field. He brought, brought his, uh, gr- his grain. His, uh, Abel brought livestock. He brought an animal. And when he sacrificed that animal, that involves the shedding of blood. Remember back in Genesis 3, a chapter earlier, when Adam and Eve sinned, what what happened to them? They were left naked and hiding. And and what does God do for them? Remember, God God made animals, took animal skins for them and made a, a garment for them to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness. He he sacrificed an animal to atone for their sin, which of course points 
us forward ultimately to Christ Jesus, who laid down his own life for our sin. But I think God was setting a pattern there to be understood and, and perhaps taught even by Adam to his children that a proper sacrifice, a sacrifice that atones for the sin of man, must be one of blood, bloodshed, a live animal, given up. And so Abel trusted in God and followed that way. Cain did not. And that is why God was pleased with the one and not the other. That's my, my suspicion. Uh, perhaps that's not true, but I, I believe that's most likely the reason why. And so we move then to verse 5, and we see that much as by faith Abel offered sacrifice, So by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch walked with God, we're told in Genesis 5. We're told he walked with God And he was taken up and he was no more. God took him away. Just as Abel is the first person uh, to die, Enoch's the first person not to die. He was taken to be with the Lord. Why? Because he had pleased the Lord. Why why had he pleased the Lord? Well, it says without faith, it is impossible to please him. He pleased him by faith because he trusted in him. And his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. That is what pleases God when we trust God, when we hear his word and we trust in it. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Let's just look at those two phrases. Being divinely warned, he heard a message from God. He moved with godly fear. He heard the message from God. He responded to the message of God. He trusted in God and acted out. We see it in chapter 6 of Genesis. Verses 9 through 21 talk about the whole message that God gave him, the warning. And then in verse 22 it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. You see this pattern that we're starting to see. God telling people what they should do. They in turn doing what God has said. That is what it means to have faith. It is trusting in God. Abraham, the father of the faithful, we say, uh, he who believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. He, he had his faith put to the test in many ways. Will you really trust God, Abraham? Will you really believe God? Well, it says by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where it was. There was something unseen out there. He didn't have his, his iPhone that he could just pop up the directions, right, and say, oh, this is where I'm going. I, I see. Let me get a little screenshot of this and see what it looks like and make sure everything's fine. Had, no, he had to go outside unseen, following God, not even knowing exactly where he was going. And yet he went trusting in God. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, tell us about how God called him. And then Genesis 12, 4, so Abram went 
as the Lord had told him. See, time after time again. And then by faith in verse 9, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He didn't find security in, in building up a city by himself or a state or a nation. Rather, he, he dwelled as a foreigner, as, as an alien, as a sojourner in this country because he looked forward to and waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker are God, we see in verse 10. He looked forward to ultimately the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21, that city of God which will one day descend from the heavens of which all who trust in Christ will be a part. That city where there is no more death and no more pain and no more suffering, no more weeping. That city that we too ought to long for. That city that God is building. We see a quick long series here of things where he is called uh, to trust. and By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. Sarah, who, who was past childbearing years, but, but God had promised to Abraham and Sarah that that they would have children not just a promised child though past the age of childbearing but that that they would be having descendants that that would be a multitude even though they had none that they would have a promised homeland though they were sojourners and aliens you see all these things where, where God is making these promises that don't look like they will come true they don't look as if they could possibly be real, but they trust in God. They trust in his word. Sarah, we see in verse 11, judged him faithful who had promised. That's really the the cornerstone. That's the key piece here. It's judging God faithful, knowing that he is true to his word. And so even if we should die, having not received the promises, as we see many of these did, In verse 13, it mentions that. We know that God will still be faithful to his promises ultimately. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. This is perhaps the greatest test he faced. You see, God had finally provided this son Isaac through whom he would provide this multitude of descendants. And then God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. This makes no sense whatsoever. But Abraham figures, we're told that God would raise him up from the dead because God is faithful to his promises. God has promised that he would do this. And so he will. So I can trust him even when it is completely unreasonable in my own mind. Now we need to be careful here. I want to pause real quick. Whenever I talk about Abraham and Isaac, I want to be careful that we don't in our mind think that, that, well, you know, God might tell me to, to sacrifice a child someday or something like that. You know, God, God doesn't speak to us in these ways quite the same way as he did to Abraham. That was not a normative situation. It's not a prescriptive method type of thing here. This is a descriptive of something that happened as he walked with him. Uh, you know, if, if you are hearing voices telling you to sacrifice someone, you are not walking with God. You are most likely mentally ill. And I say that not joking, not, not making light of it, but saying that you need to seek help if you hear voices telling you to do such things. But Abraham was in a specific place where he was spoken to directly by God. And he could be sure that he absolutely 
heard the voice of God. And you know, we can be sure that we hear the voice of God too. We can be absolutely certain in his word. If we turn to his word, that's why we need to read the Bible. We need to study the Bible. We need to meditate on the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible. We need to take it in. We need to know it deeply. For if true faith at its core is taking God at his word, then we can't know true faith unless we truly know his word. And his word comes to us in the scriptures. And so that's how we can trust God, by reading his word, taking his promises that are given to us there as our own, and building our life upon it. By faith, verse 20, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Each of these acting by faith. We don't have time to touch on each of these details, nor when we get to Moses. There's so many places here. By faith, uh, verse 23, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents. Uh, By faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He... He chose instead to esteem the reproach of Christ greater, in verse 26, than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked forward to the reward that was his through Christ Jesus. By faith, he forsook Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea onto dry land. By faith, verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, verse 31, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. By faith, each of these acted. And what more shall I say? Verse 32, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. We see all of these people who, who acted by faith. Now, one thing I want to make sure we understand Acting by faith does not mean they were perfect. It does not mean that they were completely sinless. This is quite a cast of characters we have here. Abraham gave away his own wife twice to protect his own skin. Isaac did it too, like father, like son. We see David, who stole one of his best friend's wives, had his best friend killed, lied about it, hid it. We see Rahab, who was a prostitute. We see this list of people that they are anything but perfect in and of themselves, but they are made perfect by Christ through faith. Randy mentioned earlier, Ephesians 2, by grace you are saved through faith. It is the righteousness of Christ Jesus that saves us. That's what it does for us. What does faith do for us? Well, first of all, faith saves us. For by it, back in verse 2, if we go back to verse 2, it says, the elders obtained a good testimony. In Christian circles, we talk about a Christian testimony, and we talk about what we say about ourselves and about our faith. But, but what it's talking about here is rather what is said about them, what is said about them by God, how he refers to them, what is true of them. It is by faith that the elders obtained this good testimony. That they walked with God in righteousness. The reason we have this righteousness is because faith unites us. 
That's the second thing faith does. It unites us. First, faith unites us with Christ. That's functionally how we are saved, how we are made righteous. Is His righteous robes envelop us. And even though we are sinners, we are made to be pure and spotless in Christ Jesus. What a blessing that is, clothed in his righteousness. But it not only unites us with Christ, it unites us with one another. Right? It's kind of a, a transitive property type thing. If, if I'm connected to Christ and you're connected to Christ, then we're connected to each other. And so we are bound together as one body in Christ, even the body of Christ. You, me, those throughout the body of Christ, throughout the entire world today, and not just today, but throughout all the ages, so that these members of the hall of faith here in Hebrews 11 are members of that body with us. We are united with them as one body. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Verse 39 tells us, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be perfect apart from us. We will all be made perfect together. And so we see one more thing that faith does for us. It strengthens us. It strengthens us because we are bound together. We can encourage one another and lift one another up and and support one another. And we can be strengthened by the example of those who have gone before us, by the example of faithful men and women like those here in this passage. We see in these verses all these wonderful things that were done. Verse 33 Those who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness. They were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. What wonderful things we can be encouraged because this occurred through faith, the same kind of faith that you and I have. What wonderful promises. Of course, there's the flip side of that coin too. I heard one pastor talk about this passage. He said, it's incredible. There's not even a transitional sentence here. We talk about all these wonderful things and then just in the very next breath, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings and, yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Let us be inspired and motivated by this kind of faith. Let us show this kind of faith for when we face trials, when we face tribulation, when we face persecution, and we will. If we do not already, we need to have a similar faith, a faith that will gird us up, a faith that will make us strong, a faith that will cause us to stand in the face of those difficulties and trust in what we do not see instead of what we see. As I was preparing for this sermon, I thought of the example of you, Latimer. You, Latimer, was a, a reformer in England in the 1500s, believed in all these crazy thoughts like the Bible should be translated into English so people can actually read it. And uh, things like we're saved by grace through faith alone. And, And these wonderful, crazy thoughts that those in power didn't like. And so he was tried for heresy, 
he was sentenced. The commissioners came to him and said that he didn't share the same faith as the church fathers, and his response was, I am of their faith when they say well. I have said when they say well and bring scripture for them, that is when they bring the word of God for them, when they are in accordance with the word of God, I am of their faith. And further, even Augustine requires not to be believed. He says, even the church fathers, the most esteemed of church fathers, when they go against scripture, they are not to be agreed with. I believe in the word of God. I trust in the word of God. I depend on the word of God, and that is where I will stand, he said. And so, as he was prepared to be burned at the stake, he said to Nicholas Ridley, who was standing there with him, to be burned as well, be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. What enables somebody to, to, to have this kind of mindset as they're going to their own death? It is faith. By faith we understand, verse 3, that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. It is God who puts all things together and we know that God works for, the love, for those who love God. All things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we'll talk about this more next week as we get into Hebrews 12. Let me just close with this quote. It's a quote I've shared before. It's from Eugene Peterson. He's speaking about reading the book The Descent of the Dove by Charles Williams. It's a church history book. He said, when I started reading Williams, I was a sectarian, related only to a small coterie of people who lived and thought and prayed like me. When I finished, I was part of a congregation centuries deep, continents wide a congregation of those who steadfastly faced persecution a congregation of those who face it even today we are a part of this congregation let us remember this fact let us live out our identity as such and let us do it by faith Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, we know that faith is not something that we can build up on our own. It is something that comes only from you as a gift. And so we pray that you would give us that gift, cause us to trust in Christ Jesus alone, knowing we cannot save ourselves, but rather we must trust in him for salvation alone, for he has died our death for us. And now he offers us the life that is his. May we cling to that life by faith, living it out to your glory now and forevermore. We ask it in his name. Amen. Please rise with me now.